Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. So, uh, we're going to continue in our series in James. And uh, this passage is rad. James jumps around a lot, as you've seen in this series. And we're going to be hitting on three things tonight. We're going to begin from a place in examining um, our speech, which we've hit on in James 3, but James, uh, in chapter 4, where we're at tonight, he's going to uh, zoom in a little further on that topic with a specific topic of slander. And then after that, he's going to help us find some perspective on time management and kind of um, the perspective that we ought to have towards how we spend our time. And then we're con- going to conclude with uh, just wealth and finances. And you might hear that like, well, wealth, that's not a problem for me. I don't have any. Uh, if you live in America, it is like a responsibility that we have to um, figure out and get correct before the Lord. So um, let's pray and let's uh, look at James 4.11. Dear God, I love you, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be in this place, God, to minister to us, to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us, and to convict us. We invite all of those things in. And I just pray, God, um, that, that we would just, like we've already done, worship you in spirit and truth. Let us be, be hearers of this word and do what it says, God. But I just pray for connection here. God, I just pray for relationships here. Um, I pray that insecure hearts would feel secure when they get in this building because you're here, Jesus Christ, because you're here, Holy Spirit. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read this together in James chapter 4. You can read part of it with me on the screen. And... Uh, I'm going to go through verses 11 through 17, and then we're going to jump into chapter 5 later. It reads, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, that is sin for them. So as we examine this, like I said, we talked about in James 3, we talked about the power of the tongue, but now we are seeing the specific sin of slander and judgment. Now, think about this. What is slander? Slander is someone spreading damaging or false information about someone with the intention of causing harm to their character or reputation. Now, if you've ever experienced this, you will agree with me and understand that it is painful. It says in Proverbs that gentle words are a tree of life, and a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Life is hard. Like you're coming in here tonight with specific burdens to you, specific pains to you. And I frequently tell you this and, and tell my students that, you know, you, you might look at your problems in perspective to someone else's problems. However, because God exists out of time, he has the power to love you as if you're the only person on earth. So therefore, your pain is personal. Your pain is seen by God, known by God, and it matters to God. Now, with that being said, 
uh, we're carrying burdens. You know, I think about some of the burdens that I'm carrying in here. You know, my mother-in-law is just very sick. She's not doing good. A lot of mental health issues. Um, my grandpa is very sick. He's got an infection that's just really messing him up. And um, he's just a man that I just really honor and look up to a lot. And that's been hard on my mama. My son, Judah, you know, we're getting him examined for some neurological deficits. And these are, these are the things I'm carrying in here tonight. And I think that if we went around the room, we'd all come to the agreement that we need to spend a lot of time praying for each other because there's a lot of heavy things that we are carrying. You're carrying relational problems, friend problems, family problems, health problems, financial problems, school problems, work problems. Now, James, he doesn't want us to add to them and place other burdens on top of them through the sin of slander and judgment. But he, he takes it a step further. I, I had to like look at this closely. I had to look at some commentaries on this and, and try to wrestle with what he's talking about it. Because you'll see if you look at your text in verse 11, he says, when we slander, we speak against the law. And so I looked at the message commentary to kind of help translate this even more. And you can read this with me on the screen. The message translation, it reads... Don't badmouth each other, friends. It's God's word, his message, his royal rule. That takes a beating in that kind of talk. You're supposed to be honoring the message, not writing graffiti all over it. God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Why do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? See, when we slander and we judge, we hurt the word that we're called to represent. Like the text says here, it says like, it's like we're spraying graffiti all over it. Now we're called to be what? What are you called to be if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? You're called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, representative of him. And see, when we slander or we judge another person, we hurt our witness, we hurt our testimony, and we hurt our mission. And it's not just ourselves we're hurting, we're hurting the mission of others in those moments. Like we read in Psalms, we crush their spirit. And when our spirits are crushed, we lose hope. I think of seasons in my life about just, I, I, I think we all can look back at our own history and know what a crushed spirit feels like and how hopeless it feels, how disheartening it is, how broken it is. So James, he's encouraging us. He's saying, don't slander. You can propel people on their mission with Christ, or you can rip the wind from their sails. We ought to watch how we talk about other people. Now, this text, it is for the Christ followers. So with that being said, the world is going to slander. And when I say the world, I mean people who don't yet know Jesus Christ. But you and I, we're called to be holy. We're called to be separate. We're called to be different. So when the world sees you and I in the church, in the body of Christ, slandering and judging against one another, James is helping us see that the problem is this, is they no longer see God as the judge. They begin to see you sitting on the seat of judgment. And that is a problem because we want people to see God and not us. It's dangerous because we're not called to judge the soul of someone. We do not condemn. God is the judge. So we, in our life and in our speech, we must point people to him. We must point them to the word on that which he has already spoken. So what's my job? What's my role? Your job is to love your neighbor. 
Your job is to have the courage. Now, don't get me wrong. Your job is to have the courage to speak the truth in love. And we need to remember, brothers and sisters, that the wounds of a friend can be trusted. We're talking about a heart issue here, a a judging heart and a slandering heart. I'm not saying don't have the courage and love someone enough to tell them what the Father wants to speak to them through you. I'm talking about a heart issue that we could have that's sinful to one another. We point to the Bible because God has already judged. God's already judged the world. But it's only through Jesus Christ that in that judgment that everyone has received from God that we can plead not guilty because Jesus Christ, he already took that penalty upon himself. So with that, now that we've unpacked that, I think that people think in questions. If you're like me and you look at this text, I think of other texts in Matthew 7 um, and in other parts of Paul's letters where it actually says we are supposed to judge. So we need to find some context here. Look at this with me on the screen. Delegated authorities, they must judge. It reads, different spheres of authority exist for judgment. Governments for civil matters. Romans talks about uh, honoring uh, the government that is over us ultimately. Elders for church, the elders have uh, been issued an authority to judge people within the church. If there are wolves in the church, man, there are wolves that are um, pastors on staff in this community. You, you could Google uh, a pastor on staff in the last week who is a wolf. And it's the elder's job to protect the sheep from these wolves, from these people that have bad or evil intentions. So judgment certainly is actually commanded in First Timothy from the church elders. And then with that, parents for children's behaviors. Um, yeah, I'm learning this with my son. And uh, man, I, I spanked him for the first time this week. And I told him, I told him so many times, right? And then um, it was just a really bizarre moment. But I'm called to discipline my son, right? And, and I'm commanded to that. And that with that, I have to take his actions and bring them uh, into account, just like the elders are, just like government authorities are. And then beyond that, you, Christian, Christians, we're called to be guided by the Spirit, and we should seek to restore fellow believers who stumble. It says in Galatians, if someone is caught in a sin, you can read with me on the screen, you who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently. So I'm just trying to bring some context as you think in a question of like, well, well, James, what do you mean here? Jesus ultimately doesn't say not to judge, but he says judge with caution. Why does Jesus say that? Because he says that you'll be judged with the same strictness that you use on your brother or sister. Secondly, Jesus teaches us to judge without hypocrisy. He says, take the log out of your own eye before you're worried about the speck in your friend's eye. So, again, read with me on the screen. The context of James 4 suggests that he is cautioning against a critical and self-righteous attitude that undermines unity and love within the Christian community. Let's unpack this for a little bit. Like, it's not if we commit the sin, it's when we commit the sin. I commit the sin. We, we some, some of us wrestle with this uh, in a greater level than other people. But it's very wrong. It's very messed up. But what I'm learning about in my heart when I slander or if I gossip, I don't have a hate issue. You don't have a hate issue. But you and I, we have a heart issue. It says within the text that it's out of the mouth that the heart speaks. If you have to degrade or defame another person, it's not because you have a hate issue, but it's because you have an identity issue. 
So someone in here, I think that we need to hear this every time we open our Bibles, to be honest with you. You need to hear that if Christ is your Lord, then you're a child. And that needs to go from a head knowledge to a heart revelation. And then I think in that moment, we don't feel the dark pressure to slander or gossip. Because when we know we're loved by God, it's then we can love our neighbors freely. It's then their wins become your wins. And then you can propel them and champion them in their callings and in their giftings. Now, I want people to love church. I don't want people, and they're going to see it, to see church and hate church and just think that we're all a bunch of jerks because at times we do behave so sinfully. Why would James be giving this instruction to Christians? But ultimately, if you and I would actually get to that place of obediently loving our neighbor the same way that Christ has loved us, the world will find this community compelling. And it's then that we can be the representatives of Christ that he's called and commanded us to be. Amen? Let's read on in verse 13. James writes, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sins to them. Now, some of you in this room, uh, you shoot first, and you ask questions later. You are impulsive. That's how I am. And it's very frustrating for my wife at times. Now, my wife, on the other hand, and some of you guys might be like this, you uh, have something called paralysis by analysis. You overthink and you overcomplicate things. But either one of these things, they do have their downfalls, and in either party, we're sinning when we make plans and we make moves and we make decisions, and then we ask God to bless them. Is that how you're operating right now? Because that is how I operate so often. Even in spiritual matters, I'm a pastor. I'm making, ultimately, every decision I make has some sort of um, spiritual impact. And I, in my flesh, can just think and move and react without first consulting God and saying, well, God, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? He's a father that loves you, that's waiting to guide you and waiting to speak to you, but we fail to talk to him. And that is sin. That is wrong because God loves you. You're his child and he wants to guide you into your callings and your gifting. So are you that person? Am I that person? Yes. But James helps us overcome these things by showing us what is inside our heart. We can make plans and then ask God to bless them when that ought not be the order that you and I move in. You and I both know that all of our plans and all of our agendas in just a moment can be taken from us. How do we know that? Look at the pandemic. Look at the last few years of our life. This verse in regards to the pandemic is extremely applicable to what we all have just been through. You know, we had just, we were just doing our thing, doing whatever we wanted, how we wanted it. And then that all got ripped and taken from us. James, he asked a question that we even ask today when we're in a frustrating moment or a circumstance. We might say and ask in verse 14, what is life? And James says, I'll tell you what it is. It's a mist. It's short. It's fast. 
and then it's gone. So the first part, we looked at how we can be self-centered and we can sit on the judgment seat of Christ when Christ is already sitting there and then we block people from actually seeing Christ. This isn't good. And now he's going on to say that a self-centered person neglects God's plan for their life and God doesn't want you to neglect the plan he has for your life because ultimately means that means that we're neglecting him. That's not good. It says in Psalms 39, read with me on the screen, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. In many cultures, the hand, as we read about here, was a common measuring tool. So as the readers and the audience would see this, that would really stand out to them. That would be very easy for them to grasp. And this text is helping us see that our lifespan is just a small blip in the matter of eternity. It goes quickly. You can look at this picture with me on the screen. Uh, It looks like I have four kids. I have two. So let me explain. Um, This is Spencer in the first picture, the baby here, getting older. Right, so this is, uh, we just got back from a really cool vacation in uh, Bryson City, North Carolina. And this was the first time we took Spencer. This was the next time we took Spencer. And now here he is with his brother, Judah. And, you know, as we were taking these pictures, because we always take this picture on the same couch, we go to the same cabin every single year, I am so faced with that reality. It's just like James is saying that life is a mist, Right? And, and I'm getting older. I'm 34 now, and you might be anywhere from 18 to 30. And I think that uh, time, it still seems like we have a lot of it. But we can all agree, we can all understand that, like, this is only three years. And this is a good handbreadth, if you will, according to Psalms 39, to kind of see just how quick it's all going. And it really is good for us because it puts things in perspective. Read me on the screen in Psalms 90, it reads, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's so valuable because when we realize how short and how precious life is, it's going to propel us to live differently, to think differently, and to serve God differently. Jesus would go on to say in John chapter 9, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. You know, there are things we can't do in heaven, and there are things that we cannot do in the new heavens and the new earth. What do I mean? You know, we can't evangelize in heaven. Have you thought about that? Why not? It's because everyone in heaven already knows Jesus Christ as Lord. I think something that um, we're scared of is to look at the truths that we read about in Daniel 9 and Ephesians 6 is that uh, we don't live in a world that's just flesh and blood, but we live in a dark and a fallen world with demonic influence. We are called as people empowered with the Holy Spirit to go out and help people and heal people and set people free from spiritual bondage in their life. We can't do that in heaven. Jesus is saying in John 9, 4, the night's coming when no one can work, that we need to do things while we can for the kingdom of God. We can't invite people 
to the harbor in heaven. We can't invite people to church in heaven. We can't pray for healing in heaven because in heaven there will be no more weeping, no more hurting, and no more pain. We'll have new bodies according to the word of God. Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, I'm agreeing here with James. As long as it is day, we must do what we can do for the kingdom of God. So with that, I pray that you have perspective, just like I'm finding perspective with my children, and you're finding perspective with, um, even as you look at the last few years of your own life, how things are changing. With that, we know that it's going quickly, so we want to live it well. We want to live it right. We want to have the abundant life to which Christ has called us to, because we don't know when it can and will be taken from us. So if I could youth pastor out with you guys for a moment and lighten the mood some. I think we need it. This will be good. This will be valuable. Uh, I have the solution for you. Some of you guys have made some major life decisions, and some there's still uh, more decisions to be made. And I know how I can help you make the right decision. Who should I date? Who should I marry? What college should I go to? Should I go to college at all? What occupation, career, and job should I take? When should I have kids? Should I have kids at all? Things of this matter. The Father wants to help us with this and bless us in this. So how do we do that? It's, it's in Romans 12. Now work with me. Everyone now, if you could nerd out with me for a second. Everyone take your hand like this. and Hold it out, okay? Pretend like we're palming a basketball right now, okay? But instead, it's not a basketball. It's your brain, okay? So you're palming your brain right now. This is crazy, but we'll work with me, okay? Now we're going to take our brain, and we're going to dunk it. Dunk it with me now. Okay, good, good. We just dunked it in a bucket of water. But get this. It's not a bucket. It's not water at all. It's the word of God. Can I get amen, somebody? All right. Now, what we're doing right now is taking our basketball, which is not a basketball, it's a brain, and we just put it in a bucket of water, which is not a bucket of water, but in fact, it's the Bible, and we're saturating our brain. We're absorbing it. And the word of God. And that is how Jackson Edwards translates Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you take your thought life and you saturate in the knowledge of God and the love of God and the word of God, it's saying then you can test and approve and know God's will for your life. But here's the hard question that you have to ask for yourself is do you want God's will for your life? Because it's, it's too good to be true. It's too simple. Jesus, he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. And all that we have to do is believe in him. That goes against everything in our flesh. We want to work for it. But all we can do is simply receive it. Do you want God's will for your life? Because we're going to learn later, it's a cost that we have to count, and Jesus would tell us the same thing. But I think that if you're here even right now, it's already proof of, yes, you want to hear God's voice. Yes, you do want it. So don't be discouraged by that, but join in uh, with me in the struggle of daily picking up our cross and remembering that his will is best, his will is supreme, that his plan for you is better than your plans in spite of what temptation might say, in spite of what flesh might say you cannot just believe in God, but through the love of God, you can believe God.
that he's not going to withhold anything good from you. He says in Psalms 119 that your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. We won't know what the next thing is until we take those first steps of obedience. You see this countless times with every single Bible story. The entire plan won't be revealed. It's simple steps of obedience that you and I can experience the blessings, the challenges, and the trials that God has for us. But the promise is this, is that he'll be with us wherever we go. Let's read in James 5, chapter 1, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. We haven't hit on this yet. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moss have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I know. Amen. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. I think of my neighbor kid right now. And I'm grateful I paid him this past week. He mows my yard. The cries of the harvesters have reached their ears of the Lord Almighty. You who have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. James is an intense dude. See, I think that these passages, you know, I complain of James sometimes, and I feel like he's choppy. I feel like he jumps all over the place. I feel like sometimes he reiterates himself, and he must be forgetful. However, this is not true of James. He's a man of practicality, and he's a man of action, because he certainly lives with a conviction that faith and works work together. And these passages that we read at the first part of the night, and now this last part of the night, they're connected in this for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How you spend your time reflects your heart, and how you spend your money also reflects the heart. Jesus encountered a man, uh, a man of wealth, and he came to Jesus Christ, and he said, Jesus, I've obeyed the commands, all the Ten Commandments, which isn't true, because no one has done that except for Jesus Christ, but he's very proud of himself as he says to, the, says to Jesus, he's like, I've helped the poor, I've helped the widows, I've, I've followed the Mosaic lie, I did all the things, Jesus Christ. What must I now do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, knowing his heart, goes on to say to him, and he says, you know, there's one thing you haven't done. Give away all of your possessions and come and follow me. And the text classically reads that on that day, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth and he had many possessions. And the disciples, they overheard it. They saw the scene and they said, Jesus, this is a hard rule. What you're asking of is difficult. How can a person follow through with what you ask for us? And Jesus would go on later to say, what's impossible with man is possible with God. But it is hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. God wants you and I to be a consecrated people. It's a person that has withheld nothing from God. There's no part of our life that we haven't given him access to, that we haven't invited him into. And if you hear that and are challenged by that, then good, me too. But there's grace and mercy in that as well. 
yes, the call is the command to be a consecrated person, saying, you have all of me. All of me is yours. I recognize what you say in 1 Corinthians in that I've been bought at a price, so I don't belong to me anymore. I recognize this, Father God. But if you feel, and I, and I say this, I, I hardly don't teach without saying this, if, if you're wrestling with giving things over to the Father, just don't give up. If you don't quit, you can't lose in your fight for sanctification and in your fight for consecration. The rich young ruler, you know what his problem was? Is he walked away. He walked away. It wasn't that he couldn't give it all up because he couldn't yet. But if he had followed Jesus, Jesus would have taken him to places. He would have been able to dream bigger than his dreams. He would have been able to live out what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when Paul ultimately writes that there's immeasurably greater plans in store for us for those who follow Jesus Christ. Jesus said, good, you gave me all these things. Now I want the rest. That's what it means to be consecrated. That's why James is calling out people who are wealthy, who are selfish, who are greedy, who are self-indulgent. See, we're not having a money problem here. We're not having a time problem. It's a heart problem that the Father always wants to get to and work on with us. So please, at this time, if you would just stand, I'm going to have worship come up here. And in this time of worship, I want you to examine the text that we've read and ask God to search your heart with it. How is my speech? Do I slander people? Do I judge people? And maybe I don't say it out loud, but even my heart, it can not be loving towards my neighbor the way I'm commanded to, to be. And I think that in this time of worship, I want you to say, God, would you change my heart? Would you change the way I think? Would you change the way I speak? Would you help me to become the Christ follower that doesn't judge or feel the need to defame or slander or talk bad or degrade anyone? But let me be a Christian who says their wins are my wins because we're part of the same family. We're a unified people. I can champion them. I can believe in them. I can spur them on in their giftings and their callings because ultimately it's not them winning or me winning. It's you being glorified, Father God. So if you struggle with comparison, if you struggle with insecurity, give that to God in this next song of worship because we're commanded to not slander or judge because then people can't see God because then we've sat on the seat of judgment that Jesus is already on. The second thing in worship we're going to pray about is how we're spending our time. It vanishes, it goes quick. If you're just like me on a daily basis, making plans, making decisions, and then coming in later asking God to bless them, we need to repent. We need to turn because God's plan for our life is greater than our own plans. And then lastly, whether it's wealth or any other part of your life that isn't fully given over to God, confess it to God and ask him for the power to simply not give up. Don't walk away. Because if you don't quit, you can't lose. Just stay with him. Just stay with your father. Followers of Jesus will become like Jesus. It's a process. Just don't give up. Dear God, I love you, Lord. I pray that as we worship in this last song, that we would know you, we'd see you, we'd hear your voice, God. 
God, we, we ask for anything from us not hearing you or experiencing how good you are to be removed, Father God. Let us feel the power of you, Holy Spirit. God, don't just fill us up so that we can feel better. Fill us up so we can go out and be witnesses and testify that you are the king. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.